Welcome to the Management Insights Podcast Series hosted by McGraw-Hill. My name is Debbie Clare, Executive Marketing Manager for our management portfolio. Today's topic, negotiation. You don't get what you don't ask for. Our guest, Suzanne Dianish. Thanks for joining us. I'm glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, Debbie, I have been teaching negotiation, among other things, for more than 20 years. And I really enjoy teaching the kinds of skills that people need every day. And it's not just in a business setting, you know, it's also personally. We negotiate with our partner, with our children, with our parents. <laughs> um, we negotiate in the, the restaurants, wherever we are, we negotiate on the road. And so the kinds of things that I have learned and shared with my audiences throughout the years, it feels good to know that these are skills that people will make their lives not only more financially better, but also it helps them in how they look at conflict. It helps them in how they manage relationships. So there are a bunch of other things I teach as well, but I think I'll focus on that for now. Excellent. Well, I look forward to our discussion today. It's been said that really good salespeople can sell ice to Eskimos. Why is it so important that everyone has good negotiation skills? Well, as I was saying in the introduction, wherever we go, we negotiate every day. We're negotiating getting in the car. Somebody else is is blocking the driveway. What do we say to the neighbor? Speaking of neighbors, then you have the issue of your tree is in my yard. And, you know, you could try to be a bully and get your way, but this is someone who may well live next to you for the next 20 or 30 years. So negotiation is about two things. It's about the thing we want, but it's also with somebody else. So there's a relationship implied. So to answer your question more directly, unless we go off and live in an Eskimo, you know, in a hut uh, for the rest of our lives, never interacting with anyone. Sure, we don't need negotiation skills, but for the rest of the world, it's an absolutely necessary skill for success, both professionally as well as personally. Do you find that people get a little nervous when they're negotiating? No, Debbie, I find they get a lot nervous. <laughs> Here's the thing. You know, there's a lot of research that shows how we feel about something, how well we think we're going to do, it really affects the way in which we expect the outcome to turn out, the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So if I get nervous, if I back down, if I'm, quote, too nice, and therefore I see negotiation as a losing proposition, I'm not going to want to do it. So by not doing it, not having the skill, not practicing, you can see why people back away from it. And when it comes upon them, and I'll talk about something related to that in a moment, if we haven't the skill or the confidence or the competence and the belief that we could be competent, we're going to get nervous. And so one of the first rules of negotiation that I talk to my audiences about is that among all the other definitions of negotiation, the most important one, I believe, is that negotiation is a choice. And what I mean by that is, if you've ever been in the workplace and someone comes up to you and says, Debbie, we need to talk about the XYZ issue, and you feel kind of cornered back against the wall, when you can say to someone, you're right, Jane, we do need to talk about that, how does Friday at 11 a.m. sound? 
Why you need to do that is so that you can gather the data, you can look through the email trail, you can gather any external information, people that you need to talk to, and be ready. So one of the big reasons we're nervous about negotiating is we're unprepared. Someone catches you off guard. Exactly. So being able to say, I agree, I want to do this with you, how does Friday at 11 sound? Mm-hmm. Or check our calendars. Exactly. Let's, exactly. And so many people, even successful executives in my classroom, when I ask them about what happens when someone corners you, almost all of them will say, well, I respond. Why do you do that? You have a choice. Why put yourself in a one-down position? Why put yourself in an inferior or a weak position when taking the time to gather information will make you feel and actually be more successful at the negotiating table, per se? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people talk about gender differences in negotiation. Why do women negotiate a quarter of the time um, of their say, male counterparts? Well, this is a complex question, Debbie. The truth is, in fact, women do negotiate, as you you noted, about a quarter of the time. There's a she factor, a he factor, and a they factor. Okay. So first of all, women are taught from a very early age to be feminine, right? To be kind and demure and supportive and nurturing. And it doesn't feel very nurturing if you say, no, that's not good enough. I want more. So from a very early age, girls and then women learn that good enough is good enough. Or that's your opening offer. Oh, um, I guess that's okay. And so women are, are, they feel as though to negotiate would be to break with the tradition or the societal expectation for being feminine. So, so that's on them, plus the issue of not having a lot of experience or skills. So there's that reticence to actually engage in the negotiation. Here's another reason. What's happening on the other side of the table? How are women being perceived? So there was a study recently that showed women who negotiate their starting salaries as compared to women who don't negotiate and just accept what's given, they are respected more. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. But they're liked less. Interesting. Right? So it kind of goes back to that double standard. He's a leader. He's assertive. He gets things done. She's, oh, you know, it rhymes with which. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this, this double standard is, is real and it doesn't doesn't only exist on the other side of the table. It's then internalized from a woman's perspective. I better think long and hard as to whether I want to push this further, engage, ask for more, because what if the people around me don't like me? Then I get what I want financially, but then you know I've won the battle and lost the war. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason why women don't engage as much. In fact, there's one other interesting study I'll share with you couple of researchers asked men and women separately to choose from a list of metaphors, which of these metaphors most closely represents the way you look at negotiating. Okay, so there was a large list. And coming in first and second place for men was going to a ball game and participating in a wrestling match. Okay, Mm -hmm. for women, number one, without a doubt, not, not anything close to Uh, Number two, number going to the dentist. 
you know, you're smiling, right? Yeah, I'm thinking fear. <laughs> That's it. So again, we do or don't do relative what we expect the outcome to be like. So if I think I'm going to fail, if I think I'm going to be called the B word, if I think people are going to not like me and shun me because of my not so feminine ways, I'm not going to engage. And so one of the things that I try to accomplish both through the writing of the book, as well as the many exercises in the book, is to give people, men and women, more opportunities to be prepared, to engage, to get feedback, and and just kind of having that experience already begins to break down those fears. Oh, it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. And often you'll hear folks say, you know, they're being nice, and that translates. Is that good or is that bad? Well, it depends, right? So in the beginning of our conversation, we talked about the two main components, the thing you want and the person on the other side of the table. And and to be fair, many negotiations are far more complex mm-hmm. in terms of number of issues and people. So there could be three on three, there could be 12 different people representing different stakeholder interests all around the table. So I'm simplifying it for the moment, talking about the standard one-on-one negotiation. So when it comes to being nice, part of that is being afraid of hurting the relationship with somebody else. The best, quote unquote, way that you can hurt the relationship is to lie, is to force, is to be deceitful or manipulative in in the interest of getting what you want. Because as I tell my students and participants all the time, can you get away with it? Sure. Once, twice, three times. The moment that your breaking of trust is discovered, that's it. It's done. It, it's, it's not something it's like in a relationship, right? You know, it just takes one trust break. And I'll, I'll let the, the listeners' minds go wherever they want to go with that. You can have a hundred occasions of trust kept, but it takes just one time for that trust to be broken and the relationship may be irreparably uh, damaged. Right. They might never be able to rebound from it. Exactly. And they will, you know, alongside that, it's kind of, do I believe anything that's coming out of Debbie's mouth? Right. She's lied to me once. What's to stop her from lying to me again? Clearly, she doesn't have uh, a strong sense of character or morals about lying. So going back to the question of being nice, sure, it's okay to be kind. It's okay to value the relationship. It's not okay to be stepped on. And the way to avoid being stepped on in a negotiation is to spend the time up front doing a fair amount of research. What do I want? Why do I want it? What are some of the comparables, whether I'm buying a house or looking at job offers? There's so much data out there now, so much data, so easily accessible. I believe there is no excuse not to be prepared. So you can be nice in terms of a relationship, but in terms of knowing what you want, what you're worth, or what you're fighting for on behalf of your organization, there's no substitute for preparation. And as long as you're prepared and you know what you want and you're able to articulate that, you can be nice and you can be successful. Right, because you're firm and you know exactly what you want and you communicate that to Exactly. Now, what would be some tips that can help women engage and negotiate more successfully? So this area of research is a relatively new area. So the things that we've been talking about so far, Debbie, are 
of course, applicable to men and women and, and for those for whom gender is more fluid, right? So being prepared, number one. Uh, when I talk about the five stages of negotiation, that's the first and most important and the one that you should spend the most time on. So that that is one. Another that is important is to actually practice, you know, Bring your best friend into it or, or practice with your boyfriend or girlfriend or partner. That's another thing. Again, because the, the less we do it, the more fearful we are of it, the more we kind of back away from it and then build up the thing as something, this gigantic monster that we're afraid to, to approach. So that's another issue. But when it comes to men and women, because of these gender differences and how society expects women and men to behave, one of the things that we know about women being more successful, when they present what they want in terms of advocating for someone else, for my department, for my division, for my team, that issue of not being liked is practically wiped away. So in the conversation, a woman might say, instead of, I want a $20,000 raise, <laughs> what she might say to be more successful is looking at the resources that the team needs in order to be able to be successful in capturing new business, we're going to need access to different resources that would total about $20,000. How can we get this? How can I help you help my team make this happen? So advocating. Another thing that we know about women in particular is the idea of packaging. And so again, it's, it's not about this dollar figure, but rather let me present to you a package of what I or what the team is looking for. And includes things like access to technology or to administrative support or to uh, the ability to telecommute. So, so it's a package and this, again, from the latest research that I'm aware of, it enables women to be more successful in particular. And what can men do? To be successful or to be better partners of women? <laughs> I was going to be saying <laughs> successful in negotiation. <laughs> well, there's been some interesting research around emotional intelligence mm -hmm. and its relation to negotiation. And to the un- initiated, one might think, oh, women must be higher in EQ. Well, there are a number of components of EQ. And if you look at the research, women score higher on some dimensions, men score higher on other dimensions. So the way that translates in a negotiation, women tend to be better at collaborating. Let's all work together and see if we can make this merger happen. Or let's all work together, all these stakeholders, and see if we can maximize the output given everyone's individual and hopefully overlapping needs. Men tend to do better in competitive situations, like buying a car. Right. So I guess to your question, Debbie, know who you are. Know, and even when we stereotype, right, there, there are reasons for the stereotype, but there's also um, those who do not fit that stereotype. So my, my number one advice, I guess, is to be authentic. Mm -hmm. If you're a woman, don't try to be a man. It's not going to serve you. If you're a man, don't try to be overly nice and flowery with your language and, and, and here I want to be your best friend people would see through that or see it as disingenuous. So 
I think the number one rule is to be prepared and then separately to be authentic, be you, just be a better, more skilled, more practiced, more researched version of you at the negotiating table. Well, I was going to say that sometimes people try to be something that they're not and it comes across very clearly that they're either nervous, they're uncomfortable, or they're trying to fit the role of what someone wants. So any closing comments that you have for our audience today? I think the only thing that I would say, Debbie, is just reiterating the importance of negotiating skills, whether it's elementary school children in the sandbox, um, high schoolers working on their first teams, you know, in school projects. In other words, all those things we think about before we get into that salary negotiation, which is the one that so many people think is the be-all, end-all. It's true that for those who don't negotiate their starting salary, for example, at the start of their professional career, there's research that shows that could add up to easily a million dollars left on the table. There, there, are, there are more data behind it, and they can read the book and see where that number comes from. I'm not exaggerating. So if you think of a 45-year career from the time we graduate from college until we retire, not getting a, a strong starting salary, not negotiating throughout one's career could easily add up to a million dollars or more left on the table. Now, money and happiness don't equate, of course, but there are things that money can buy like freedom, like retirement and security. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it, it is worth having these skills and developing them. Well, I appreciate your time today. So thank you for sharing your perspective, your experience, as well as your advice. To our listeners, check back for future topics and spread the word to your colleagues about our podcast series. Why? Because learning changes everything. <laughs>